In today's episode, we're speaking to Christina Snyder. She is a creative force in the business world as a founder and the CEO of Snyder. She uses her creativity to represent artists, illustrators, animators, and visual artists from around the world. Prior to founding Snyder, Christina started two successful companies, both in the field of creativity. Her belief is that creativity is at the core of everything we do, and it connects us to something higher that we can be accessed and used for personal growth. Let's find out how she changed her life by changing her mindset. Let's find out. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money mindset expert. And today I'm so excited. We have Christina Snyder with us. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much, Gul. What a pleasure to be talking to you today. I really look forward to it. The pleasure is all mine. I'm super excited for our conversation. You've um, Everyone's heard your intro. They know how fabulous you are. But Christina, in your own words, please do share with what it is that you do. Well, I call myself an entrepreneur with creative tendencies, which means that um, I have a clear point of view on creative growth. I have started several successful companies and the latest of which I'm now the founder and CEO of. So I, I'm... I, I am the CEO and founder of Snyder, which is a um, an artist representation agency, and we also do creative production, which means that we get uh, artists jobs in the cre- in the commercial industry. Oh, fabulous! And uh, I think that's 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 a worthy cause because there's plenty of artists out there who are struggling financially, even though they are brilliant. And I think that's a great um, bridging thing that you're doing. Right. So it's great that you do that. But today we want to learn about you, Christina. How did you get started? And I know you have a story to tell. So please walk <laughs> us through. Tell us how did you start and how did you end up here doing this? And I know you've got a, a few um, successful companies you've had, but I want to talk about not the success, but the struggles, the obstacles that you overcame and the self-belief that you had to instill in yourself or learn from a mentor that allowed you to be where you are, highly successful where you are right now. So talk us through your journey. What, how did it start for you and how did you end up here? Well, I... I grew up in Sweden and uh, after high school, I've moved to Stockholm and that's where I really started my creative journey. I did have a childhood that incorporated a lot of art and music and reading books. I was obsessed with reading as a child. But when I uh, moved to Stockholm um, after my studies of literature, I, I, I was very much into photography at that time. So I went to photo school. Uh, I did photography for many, many years. And I also dabbled in editorial a bit because I, I managed to wrangle a job at the biggest uh, morning paper at the time and the photo department uh, researching photography for articles. Um, and while I was at that job, I met a, fr- uh, a friend of mine. He's still a friend. His name is Anders. And he had um, 
a job, a sort of a, a commission to go to India to document in words. He's a writer, um, a, a women's cooperative that did creative handicrafts, uh, supported by a Swedish um, organization. So he convinced me to go to India. And we went to India to uh, do this documentation, partly because there was a festival called the Festival of India in Stockholm a little bit later that year. So long story short, <laughs> we did the project, but in, in pretty early on, I met somebody there who became a very big friend of mine. Her name is Christy. And we became friends like you do in your 20s. It was like we wanted to do everything together. So that resulted in a road trip in America. She lived in New York State and we did this uh, road trip. We bought a car, we outfitted it, we had big, big plans. And so uh, we did do the road trip from, I think, Connecticut to Key West. But what I, what I, <laughs> what I want to tell you is I had met somebody on my third night in New York City. So I met my future husband. So the whole road trip, we had to stop and look for pay phones. And I spent hours and hours on the phone with this man that I met in New York uh, in a bar in Manhattan. Uh, I didn't plan on it. But eventually, after three or four weeks, I had to say to myself, you have to go check this out. So I went back to New York and that uh, just resulted in me a few months later um, getting married to uh, a musician uh, with deep roots in the music field in New York. So there I was. I found myself in this creative place in the East Village in New York. Um, and I started to look for a job and thinking about what, what could I do with my experience? Still very into photography. And that resulted in me landing a, a couple of like low-end jobs before I started freelancing as a, a photo researcher and photo editor. So my first uh, couple of jobs in that industry um, was uh, for Time and Newsweek and Life at the time, People Magazine and Style. So I bounced around during the day, you know, my daytime uh, hours, I bounced around as a photo editor and researcher. And at night, I was part of my husband's music scene uh, ventures. So I say in my bio, I was the one, the, the girl who schlepped equipment at 3 a.m. in the morning from CBGB's. Um, and at night, and, and during the daytime, I was part of this amazing uh, photo industry that was at the time in the 90s was very, very different from what it is now. Mm. So that's that's how I ended up here. And then the story continues. Okay, so that's that's an interesting journey. Now, I think this you've skipped over quite a few of those um, life decisions. First yes. of all, you know, you know yes. that you know taking the decision to go and uh, go across country in your early twenties from New York to the other side, that takes a courage, and I suppose it took more courage than I think nowadays because with the rise of social media, I think we're more familiar with what to expect because everything's on social media. You know, any part any part of the world, you know what to expect or whatever. It's not as as um, you know, as hidden as unknown, uh, unknown yeah. um, as it was back in the nineties. Nowadays, everything you know, you we can even pick up a, a TikTok video on um, yeah. you know, remote uh, Amazon, you know, forest tribe somewhere. You know, we can even figure that out because somebody must take a picture or video and posted it somewhere. So, how did you, as a, in your early twenties, make that decision? That you're going to go 
uh, you know, and then by yourself with a friend um, in this unknown, um, you know, area. And then well, also the, you give up that, give that up and move, you know, and, you know, and make that decision of, you know, going back to this individual. Now that's, that's love and that's understandable, but each of those paths took a really difficult decision. Um, and then you took that and being so young, how, you know, how did you come to those decisions? Well, that's a really interesting question that I, ask myself at times because I when I think about my life and everything that I did I was a I was a young woman in New York not my language not my city had no friends I had a boyfriend that was it um, but I think when I look back at my decisions number one to uh, do what I did in Stockholm and never giving up I mean there's there's one thing that stands out to me and that is like taking a risk. Yeah. So I have this love, I have a love for this word parlay, which is spelled P A R L A Y. Mm -hmm. And it really means like to risk, to bet it's a betting term. And to me, it always represented this sort of, you take what you have and then you take a risk. And my best way to describe it is what I did at that time is if you take a risk, but you involve creativity and if you have a strategic thinking about the next step after that step, then it becomes less scary, at least mm. for me. Another thing that I always thought about, I don't know where I got this, but I always thought about like jump in the cold water. That was like in my mind, jump in the cold water and see what happens. Because really there was nothing um, that I did that couldn't be reversed. I mean, I could have gone to India and then nothing worked out and I came back and nothing else happened. But I had a hunger for uh, exploring the world. And I also was re not really intimidated by much. Um, I, have, I have an innate hunger for uh, seeing what happens. And I mm -hmm. think that just doing it was the method. Uh, when it comes to New York, I still don't really understand that, but it had to do with love. And I thought to myself, if you do not explore this relationship, I think you will be sorry for the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. sure enough, I'm still married to the same man and we have an amazing relationship. And that it has really, that was the foundation of so many things, not just emotionally and, and love wise, but also for the creative space that I found myself in all mm -hmm. of a sudden in New York. From Stockholm to New York is a big journey. And especially then, the 90s was just at the tail end of the wild 80s, you know, where things were starting to recover in New York City from the 70s when it was mm -hmm. like bankrupt and a, a pretty bad place to be. So it was, yeah, it was, I can only say that I, I chalk it up to um, uh, parlaying and thinking about why not? I'll take this risk and I'll see what happens. I think that, that that sums up the life for most successful people because you have to take the leap of faith and then see, okay, well, I'll figure out what I need to do on the way on the way down if I do. Yes, exactly. Which is amazing. So take us from there. So, so now that you're in New York and you're doing this uh, amazing day job, which is you love, you know, and then you're you're um, kind of being part of your husband's legacy with his music. How did you transition from there into having your own companies? And you know, so talk us through that. Yes. So I was a freelancer in New York City in the freelance photo editing world for about 10, 12 years. And that eventually uh, a person at CBS TV called me to be part of the to do a freelance gig at the photo department there. So that 
taught me a whole new set of skills, which is set photography. Uh, the pictures that you see when, when you announce a show, um, posters and sort of, here's a picture from Mad Men, let's say. That's not a CBS show, but anyway. Um, so that in turn led to a, a position as a freelancer at HBO. Okay. And at eight, and HBO, I did the same thing. I worked on the first season of The Sopranos and many, many TV movies, editing the film that the photographers did on set. I met somebody there. Her name is Victoria, uh, who had been an agent for photographers and then segued into working at HBO. HBO. She said, uh, in the conversation, just kind of a thread that I picked up, she said, why don't you, you should really try being an agent for photographers. It's really great job. You make a million phone calls and you can you can make good business. This is something that I think you should think about. She probably never realized that I took that as a, hmm, I wonder what that would be like. And so I started just from a photographer that I had met in my freelance photo editing days, Håkan Ludvigsson, who was a very big location and car photographer in Sweden. He had faith in me. And we really got along. We're very good friends and, and are to this day. Um, and I started shopping him around to advertising agencies. And it was pretty much like immediately that we got a very big job, a two-week shoot for a Jaguar. And that kind of made me think also, hmm, I wonder if this can be expanded. So all of a sudden, I put out my shingle as, as a photo agent, a photography agent, and shopping photographers around uh, the commercial industry in New York, which is really like Madison Avenue was very strong. It was centralized. That's where all the advertising really happened. And that from that job, it was, again, parlaying and taking a bet a bet on, um, you know, opening an agency. So I opened uh, Snyder and Company in, I think, 2001. Had a very uh, bad setback uh, after 9-11. Um, and I, it was six months. Like, I was open for six months, and then that happened. So I get back to that story, because that's actually where my financial um, story emanates from. And so that was successful. Um, up until I would say 2009, where photography started to, to lose a little bit, what happened was Instagram became a force in the industry. And all of a sudden, everybody was a photographer. Yeah. So, so that sort of like photography went down and content went up like mm. this. That's about when I realized that, you know, working with illustrators, because I added a few illustrators also, and I made a division called Snyder and the Swedes for mostly Scandinavian illustrators. And I said to myself, working with an illustrator with a commercial um, entity like an advertising company is so much easier because there's no line items for car trucks, uh, location scouts, uh, hair and makeup, that kind of thing. Everything comes from imagination so illustration is pure imagination and if it doesn't go the way the client wants it to go or we need to change then the illustrator just changes it so that kind of put a bug in my head again saying hmm i wonder i wonder what what i can do with this um and I decided after not a very successful um, partnership with a photography agency that photography was not my path, but illustration and later animation was the way I was going to focus my efforts on. And so, so this happened very organically. It was like um, 
there was a why not spirit into it, but it was also backed up by real things like real feelings and, and real events like such as it's so much harder to negotiate a photography job. It's worth much, much more money, but the stress and the fight to get that job is greater than an illustration job. So I figured that was a worthy effort. Um, and in 2013, I parlayed uh, Snyder and Company and Snyder and the Suites into one company named it Snyder New York. I mean, that made sense at the time. And then I focused on uh, illustration uh, only. And I built that company uh, later with my now co-founder, Kat Iranajad, who uh, came on in uh, the fall of 2013 as a freelancer. And we built this together. She is uh, an expert in uh, building client relationships and artist relationships. And I was an agent as well. But later on, I would say about uh, a year ago, I started to feel like I'm better at running the company and being the CEO for this. Mm. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. So this is this is quite interesting because a lot of the times now the reason why I love this story is you've pivoted your your focus throughout your journey. You haven't just sat back and thought, oh no, um, all hell's broken loose. Instagram's come along, and I no longer have um, you know the kind of the clients that needed and the kind of way the way I focus on my business. You took this as an opportunity and pivoted. And you've been doing that throughout. And that seems to be the theme throughout your life's journey. You pivot, you try, you work at it, you, you do well. And then as, as things progress, I mean, as, as you do, the things do change. You pivot and you change. And you, as you say, you, take, you do parlay, you, you take risks in other areas. Tell, walk me through the thinking that goes behind it. You know, how do you have the courage? So, I mean, it's worked out for you. What if it didn't work out? You know, how do you, how do you work? How do you, how do you talk to yourself about it? How do you deal with it? Because of course, if you have a company, you have outgoings, you have staff members and so forth. This is a very big question for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in today's day and age with, you know, with, with some uncertainty. How do you deal mm-hmm. with that? I believe personally, it has to do with intuition, a lot of intuition. Uh, and I've trained my intuition uh, to work really well for me. Um, I have this feeling that happens when I know something is right. I want to stand up and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, like that. I'm nervous. I'm scared, but I'm also excited. That feeling is, to me, what I go towards now. I didn't always. Um, It was it was you know, my, my business story is, is sort of, um, it has various periods where I did not feel that at all. There was nothing. I did it purely for other reasons, but that feeling, my intuition and my desire to really expose myself to new things and learn. I think it's a mixture of intuition and curiosity, but also knowing myself really well, you know, as we, as we get older, I think we sort of know what works for us. You know, um, this works for me. I, I think it's, it's not a knowing, it's more a feeling for me and also strategic thinking. So I shouldn't 
I shouldn't say just intuition, but it's also strategic thinking and picking up what's happening in the world. And sure enough, um, illustration became a major, major player in Instagram. It became really popular. And so maybe there was something about uh, cues that I was picking up. But I also, this is also important, um, I also wanted to create a company that would work for me and my needs. So I had an apartment or my husband and I had an apartment in New York for a long, long time, but we always had a house in the country. Very cheap, very uh, modest, even in the very lean years of the early 90s. So my desire when I finally got into, you know, behind the steering wheel and could do whatever I wanted, it was to create a company that worked for me. And what did that mean? It meant not being in New York City every single day and going Mm -hmm. to an office. I wanted to work remotely. And that is what happened at Snyder New York, that I designed it so that I, I am the owner. I can do it however I want that works for me. And that also, it's interesting because it coincided also with email, the birth of the email contact. Nobody called on my office phone where I sat. I had an office on Broadway and I had a landline and a computer. I was there every day and nothing happened. And I said to myself, why couldn't I sit at home and do this? So it's also that, like taking charge and being um, realizing that you, your ideas can really be the basis of a really fruitful company. And I'm sorry that I'm going on so long, but I also wanted to say that um, through COVID, this is what really worked for my company. It's um, all of a sudden people were freaked out about going to an office. We, we have an office in New York City on Fifth Avenue, but it's very small. It's mostly for meetings and we didn't have a big overhead. So here we were in COVID and we were all over New York, Chicago, uh, Rhode Island at the time. Um, and as such, we were kind of COVID proof. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so what seems to be coming through is you've been very intentional in, in the way you've designed your companies. And as you've sort of moved forward, and you, of course, you use intuition, but intuition isn't blind intuition. You take calculated risks based on your intuition. And that's what you've been doing. And that's what I sort of, um, you know, sort of, sort of push towards my clients, not to make, not to hustle, but to take inspired actions. But you have to calculate them as well. You have to, you know, be strategic with them as well. And that's what you've been doing. And that's the probably the secret to your success. You haven't just relied on logic. There's been intuition involved, but intuition combined with strategy, the right strategy, which felt right for you, and then being intentional about what how you want to form your companies. That seems to be the running theme of your success. Would you agree? I do agree. Yes. I also thought of something else while you were saying that. And that is my ambition level is high. In fact, even as a a young student, I have this quote by some famous author, like, you know, work is better than, you know, something about working hard. And I always wanted to work really hard. And I have, like I had my first job when I was 12, I think. And I always, always worked. That inspired me. But it's, it's also something about not expecting like a spectacular result. And, and with that, like my philosophy is also, it's, it's about the quality of life that you have at the time. And so if it's like, I'm going to build it and make a billion dollars, that's never my motivation. So motivation 
I learned about that when I met my husband, who is a Buddhist uh, practicing. And he told me, you, you, you do one thing with the motivation where the motivation is clear and clean and, you know, for all sentient beings, um, then it's very powerful. So I have never really strived for being, um, you know, a huge business influence or I've just done my thing. And I think that that has worked. I think growing slow and just listening to yourself and doing it your way is a very powerful recipe for success. And I love that. I love that because I think too much in today's age is hustle, hustle, hustle. You have to get this and you have to do that. And I remember a few years ago, the golden number was 10K a month for coaches and consultants in the online space. Now the golden number is 100K. Um, and if you're not making 100K, then somehow you're a failure. Um, you're not doing well. And I'm sure in a couple of years, that would be moved to a million a month. You know, why are you not making a million a month? So right. And um, the goalpost will always move. You need to know what's right for you. And, you know, I'm, I'm being a money person. I'm always encouraging you to make as much money as you desire and, and make, make it so that you're comfortable. But what makes me comfortable is not the same. It's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. It's going to make mm-hmm. you comfortable. Yeah. It's a very subjective number. It's, wealth is a very subjective element. It's, you know, what makes me feel wealthy would not make you feel wealthy and vice versa. We have different numbers attached to it, different reasons behind it, different needs and desires. But as long as you're truly faithful to yourself, then what I see is that you're very wealthy. You are very wealthy. As long as you are comfortable, you're happy, um, billions is not right for everybody. But so, for some people, billions, even billions is not enough. You know, there are people like Elon Musk, they're probably working for trillions or beyond or whatever. It doesn't really matter. You don't have to compete with anyone. You just have to go within and create a life that makes you happy. And I think what, what you hit on the nail was, creating a life where you are living you know you don't want to be existing and running after things and not be happy you need to live your life and look back at your life and say yeah I've lived a good life yeah I agree with you so much and I I I also this sounds strange but I'm kind of anti-wealth to have a huge mansion on the hill with millions and millions and it's not my goal. I want to be creative. That's, that's really my wealth. And so being in charge of the years and years of being dictated to um, in, in the creative industry in New York, I mean, that was at the time largely run by men. All of the important people were male, uh, except the photo department, the sort of lower, were almost always women. Uh, To me, the wealth in that was to run my own show, to put my own flag down, whatever it, meant and it sounds in hindsight of course that sounds like super easy but it has never been easy really and remember my background living in the east village in a 200 square foot apartment basement apartment with my husband and just like trying to figure it out like it 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 was paycheck to paycheck in the beginning definitely then by the time 10 years rolled around it was like a little bit better and then a little bit better and then worse and then a little bit better. So I am not somebody who comes from money. My family were academics, both of them, and money was never really a priority for me uh, or for my family even. So I, I have never really been prioritizing. I'm going to make a million dollars. It was never in my head. I never even believed that I could, that I could do that. Well, I think, I think and, the reason why you didn't make it is because you didn't believe you could. 
Listen, that's the thing. And then, <laughs> and then the, you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I do believe everyone should make as much money as they do need to. I agree. Yes. Money. And but you need to be mindful of what your needs are. I think a lot of people are mistaken. When I see wealth, um, I don't see big mansion and yacht. That's not my thing. But I do yeah. want to make a lot of money. But I have a reason to do other things because I think money gives you the freedom and, and to make the choices you want, to have the live the life you want, to live the legacy you want. And I have some uh, aspirations that I want to create. But living in a twenty house mansion is not my goal. To have a, a million or two billion dollar yacht is not my goal. That just <laughs> that kind of thing just doesn't appeal to me. And I consider I'm seasick anyway. So uh, it, it, those things are not that appealing to me. But when it comes to money and wealth, you have to pick what's right for you and what amount makes it wealthy. I mean, by all, by many people's standards, I know in my family and especially people in Bakun and Pakistan, where my family is originally from, they would think I'm a bloody millionaire. But they think I'm extremely wealthy and blah, blah, blah. I am not where I want to be. So I don't classify myself as wealthy. There's a definition, there's a there's a there's a mismatch between our definitions. But that's because I yes, I everything I need I have. So, but it's not where I want to be because of what other aspirations I have. But then that's my choice. Yeah. And everybody gets Don't. to make their own choice. And this is why it's important. So we should never we should never compare ourselves and our goals and ambitions to other people. You need to go in and think what's right for you. So I love the fact that you've lived a life of purpose. And you've lived a life that you can look back and be proud of. And you have, you've got more than enough money to take care of your needs. You're not, you're not a destitute. Yet, why would you want to focus on making billions when you're comfortable in your lifestyle that you are in? And that's- I think, yeah. Yeah. And I think it can also be a distraction. It can be a, you know, when you, I'm, I'm on a big cleanse and I'm cleaning out a lot uh, of my possessions and I feel so much better when I have less, uh, not, um, you know, in the, in the, in the 90s, we used to have much less than we do now in terms mm-hmm. of clothing and possessions, living in a 200 square foot apartment, like nothing. Uh, when I met my husband, he had, I, we jokingly said that he came to our household with a salad bowl and a mattress. That was it. <laughs> and so I just think uh, less material wealth and focus on um, also good deeds that you could do. Like, uh, and that's why I'm saying I'm anti-wealth. Like when I see what, how people spend their money, um, it's, it's kind of uh, frightening to me because I think if I had a billion dollars, I would try to put it to work somehow for the good of the planet. Um, I, I, think, I think that's a, I think that the problem you have and mm-hmm. the problem a lot of people have is yeah. they see the wealthy spending in the way that media portrays it. Yeah. I, there are so many people I know who are um, the secret millionaires and billionaires now. They don't they don't go show off you know, show off the kind of money they have or what they do with it. But I also do believe that, for example, buy uh, you know buying your own private jet. Some say, well, that's just a waste of money. Now I I remember um, you know because I didn't want to get my own. I actually want to get my own airline. And and I remember reading this on the and I can't remember which which entrepreneur it was. He said, look. I don't, and because somebody said to him, "What? Well, that's really extravagant. You know, you know, I wonder how many people that could have fed, you know, the, the, that jet of yours. And he turned around and said, well, I don't know how many people could have been fed with the amount of money I paid for the jet. 
But I know that a lot of families have been uh, are living off from you know the production mm-hmm. of the jet, yeah. from the designing of it, from the maintenance of it, the pilots that fly it, the air crew that maintain it. So there are a number of families who are benefiting from that commercial side of it than those, and that's ongoing and continuous compared to the one family, the number of families that could be fed from the one-time payment of that, you know, the, the amount I paid for the jet. And I love that kind of thinking that you bring e-commerce into the world allow people to make their money and rather than just giving them money so i'm creating opportunities for you i think this is the what a lot of entrepreneurs like me want to create opportunities for other people um, and this is where i think new wealth should be we are too bogged down with our ideas of what money can is and that's that's done through social programming through uh, the, what we see in the media mm-hmm. And we, then we see people like Bill Gates <laughs> and we have, a, you know, interesting ideas by him. And then we have people like Donald Trump. Those are not the norm. There are plenty of people out there who are very down to earth and um, and they are millionaires. And they don't, some of them have um, mansions, good for them. And um, some of them just have simple living. Like Warren Buffett, he's lived in the same home for yes, yes. how many years <laughs> now? You know, and he's a billionaire. So it. This idea of what billionaires do is, is I think, is a falsity. It's been given it's by It's true. Me. Yes, absolutely. And I remember I was on a photo shoot with one of my photographers for Time magazine, and it was a story about 100-year-olds. So we went to this man's apartment. He was apparently 105, and his sister was 107, one of the richest people on Fifth Avenue. And I walk in, and it was so Spartan. It was so Spartan. I saw his bedroom. It was like a little twin bed. And here he was, this 105-year-old man who had been on Wall Street in the 30s, making, I'm sure, losing millions, but also making millions. And his lifestyle was so... Uh, what do I Minim- need? Minimalistic. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was actually yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. that. So, and, and then there's a lot of, I think there are more people like that, because, but then that's not a sexy story. <laughs> so, why would no. the media show that? <laughs> and that's the reason why. But yeah, on that note, let's wrap this up. So, we, we're going to have a, we're going to talk to you, Christina, in our money talkies. But for, for today, thank you so much. And tell everybody, how can we connect with you on the internet? How can we find you? Well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, uh, Christina Snyder, and my Instagram, which is um, aka underscore Christina Snyder, and Snyder is spelled S-N-Y-D-E-R. My company, Snyder, is now at wearesnyder.com. Wonderful. And the link, so if you're, if you're listening to us on the podcast, the link that Christina has mentioned will be in the show notes. And if you're watching on YouTube, then down below in the description section, we'll have the links to um, all, all of the links that she just mentioned as well. Check her out. She's amazing. Um, and thank you so much for being such an amazing guest today. But we have to have you back on Money Talkies. But today, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. And thank you for being such an, uh, having such an open and candid conversation with us. Oh, thank you, Carl. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to me and Christine today on Money Talkies. I will be back, um, not Money Talkies, on, on Friday Feature. I will be back with another Friday Feature guest with uh, sharing their fun, fantastic story and learning from them and finding out how they changed their life by changing their mindset. Until the next time we meet, this is Girl Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website, 
www.gulkhan.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop. And if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money, then go and get my book, Laws of Money, from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.